Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Well, good morning, and thank you for joining me. This is Dr. Fred, and you're listening to another episode of Study, Grow, Know. This one is entitled, Rejecting Truth. And um, before we get into the uh, basic premise of this particular episode, I wanted to remind everyone that if you'll check out the transcript included with this particular broadcast, there's a number of links at the top of it that have uh, all kinds of information for you. And I put those here there not to cause panic. Uh, Panic solves nothing. I do include these links so that people might look outside of the mainstream media where usually only one side of the story is told, though it's treated as if it's unequivocal truth. There's no excuse for people to not do their own research today. God provides, absolutely, but certainly expects us to make intelligent and informed decisions, doesn't he? We need to rely on him for that, but we need to do our due diligence too. All right, so those are there for you, and I want to get right into the article. There's a 30-minute video of Senator Ron Johnson speaking on the floor, and uh, that's that link is included. And what he says is not only interesting, but very informative. It is fact, something the fact-checkers deny. But as Mark Zuckerberg has admitted, the fact-checkers he employs on his Meta Universe platform are only offering their opinions about things. But since they offer those opinions that happen to align with Zuckerberg's leftism or Marxism, well, then their decisions stand. And because of it, people are censored, suspended, banned from the Meta platform, as well as other platforms like Twitter, where the same type of fact-checking is used. Now, Senator Johnson consistently presents actual indisputable facts, though people like Fauci deal with all of that by simply labeling Johnson preposterous and leave it at that. Believing by deriding Johnson is good enough. They never have an authentic response that includes any factual data to dispute Johnson's what they call misinformation. These are the COVID gods, as he refers to them, who have done whatever they've wanted to do with impunity. And it needs to be called out continually. They need to stop. And moreover, they need to be investigated and prosecuted for what is very likely their treasonous decisions which have caused deaths of thousands upon thousands of people who would have otherwise been saved if only they were willing to consider early treatments. That was never a consideration, though. Never. Hitler's Mengele would be jumping with glee over what Fauci and others have achieved today, and yet he's lionized by the mainstream media. Well, let's move along here. Slip sliding away. My wife and I were watching... We often watch videos from Reverend Danny Jones of North Lake Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. And one of his latest sermons is titled The Slippery Slope and delves into the problem that's facing most denominations today, the increasing rejection of biblical truth. This is really a problem that all Christians need to be aware of regardless of their denomination because it is likely that in some way this liberalism, which is really nothing more than satanically driven lies and deceit, 
is affecting every mainline denomination to some degree today. Now, the 45-minute sermon video is over before you know it, and I frankly wish he would have gone on longer. Um, He kind of leaves you wanting more. He discusses the problem that has deeply affected Lutheranism, as well as other mainline denominations, Episcopal, Presbyterian, etc., and that includes his own denomination, Southern Baptist, or the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, Jones notes that the Southern Baptist Convention, or the SBC, at one point was essentially taken over by liberals. They were liberals then. Once they gained access to the higher offices of leadership within the SBC, they did the same work that Satan did in the Garden of Eden with Eve. Now, they began moving the SBC away from its previous biblical foundation and inserted a much more loose approach, a liberal approach to God and his word. For instance, the record of the creation account should be taken literally. I I don't see any other way to take that, uh, and neither does Jones. There were six 24-hour periods of time in which God did a specific work of creation. Now, this is not to say that God needed a 24-hour period of time, but that he simply chose to work within specific 24-hour periods of time and then finished his work on the sixth day, resting on the seventh. Did God need to rest? No, he didn't. But he did so purely as an example for humanity so that we could create our own week following the same pattern. You work for six days and then you rest. Today it's you work for five days and then you rest for two. But once Darwinian evolution began to take hold in the schools, people jumped on the bandwagon because it gave them an out from having to believe in a personal God. They could substitute Darwin and his working hypothesis of evolution of the species for God and not having to be bothered with the moral nature of a personal holy God who will hold all people accountable for their lives while here on earth that he created. So this working hypothesis that Darwin came up with has taken on the matter uh, as if it's fact when there is actually no real proof of it. There is simply conjecture and assumptions. That's pretty much it. But it doesn't stop there. Jones points out that the Bible clearly states the following from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I'm reading from the New King James Version here. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yet Satan, who helped bring about the downfall of Adam and Eve by simply asking the question, has God indeed said, that's in Genesis 3, 1a, continues to ask this same question today through his acolytes and sycophants and has been doing that for decades. This one question has God indeed said, is meant to cause the person hearing it to doubt God's veracity and even doubt whether or not God exists at all. So this, as Jones mentions, brought about the battle for the Bible in the 70s, not just a book about the authenticity and veracity of scripture, but a book that essentially encapsulated the entire problem of the 1970s when it was in vogue to question God's existence and whether or not the Bible is truly inspired and what actually means 
by that or doesn't mean. This came back really out of the 60s, you know, free love, drugs, sex, and the whole bit. Way back in the 1970s, though, theologians who, theologians, pardon me, who questioned these things and wanted others to do the same were considered liberals. They were liberal in their viewpoint because they wanted to include everyone. Interestingly enough, politicians during that same period of time were also thought and considered to be just liberals. They wanted everyone to participate because they all had a more generalized sweeping opinion of the Bible and God that everyone, they wanted everyone to participate regardless of their own individual beliefs about God, etc. And whether or not they even believed in God's existence, there was room for everyone. And if we were truly Christians evidencing the love of God, well, all people should be welcomed into the Christian inner circle to celebrate together our love and faith in God, whatever someone conceived him or her to be. Now, years later, here's what's happened. These same people, theologians and politicians, have moved further and further left, away from what used to be true liberalism into something far more akin to Marxism. They reject anything that is God's standard and claim that those who still stand on the infallibility of Scripture are the real problem because God's love is so broad and so large that he, she, it can and does embrace everyone regardless of their own central sinful proclivities and even deviancy. Those who hold to a literal standard of scripture, taking it at its most plain and ordinary sense and understanding it that way, and who believe that sin is sin and God will judge all of it, are held out as the judgmental, self-righteous paragons keeping the world from evolving to the next spiritual plane. Sound Christians, theologically correct Christians, who live in a way that brings glory to God, are increasingly viewed as the problem, and they are even castigated as violent in their judgmental attitude, because let's not forget, now words are seen as violent Harold Linzel, the author of The Battle of the Bible that I previously mentioned, made a great case for understanding Scripture the way God intended it to be understood. Four to five decades later, here we are watching the actual falling away of many denominations that were once stalwart in their declaration of God's truth as revealed in the Bible. Now, transgenderism, so-called, women pastors, and everything that goes along with it is fast becoming the norm within Christendom. It's, it's tragic to watch the failure and fall of many aspects within Christendom have taken its toll and leaving average Christians without a church to go to that remains solidly on the foundation of biblical Christianity. They seem to be few and far between, and that number is getting smaller. So has God indeed said is how these errant theologians do their work. Even though they'll tell you they believe the Bible to be inerrant, etc., they will introduce questions that are solely meant to cause people to doubt God. Jones relates his experience at an SBC seminary when he was going into the pastorate, and this was decades ago. Now, when I went to seminary in Philadelphia, it had a reputation then of being a solid graduate school where you could get a good, straightforward, solid, conservative, evangelical, biblical, you know, education. However, I was quick to learn 
that several professors were liberals. One was seriously into what he called massification. It was a word he made, otherwise known as equity among the races, except it was mainly a, a term that was used to point to the discrepancies in or a lack of equity with Hispanics. And while this might be considered a good thing, you know, equity among the races, his emphasis was always on that one race, Hispanics. And of course, he was himself Hispanic. He eventually went on, I believe, to teach at Princeton, and he is no longer with us. We had a guest speaker during that time that I was there who used to be from what was known as the USSR, who extolled, while he was in class, he extolled the freedoms that existed in the USA compared to the fascism and tyranny that he had lived under in the former Soviet Union. Here in the United States, he said, look, even if you're living in, quote unquote, the ghetto, you still have freedom to move out of it. You still have freedom to move from one place to the other, where he did not have that type of freedom in the Soviet Union. Well, the professor of the class essentially denigrated him, really, and embarrassed him publicly, saying that he didn't need to come over here and tell Hispanics what suffering was because Hispanics, according to this professor, knew it all too well. I thought he was quite rude. And then I had another example of a New Testament professor while referring to the many miracles that Jesus did said that they were all really naturally occurring. They weren't miracles in the supernatural sense. For instance, when Jesus calmed the sea in Matthew 8, he didn't really calm the sea at all. He simply knew somehow that the storm would end at the right time. And so he simply stood up pretending to calm the sea. Isn't that nice? Of course, this makes Jesus a deceiver and liar as well for encouraging people to believe that he did something that the professor said he didn't do. My professor was far more nuanced in his explanation than I presented here. But nonetheless, the conclusion is the same. And that's really amazing with many of these liberals who have become Marxists. They are, they basically become wordsmiths. They can, you know, talk, 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 and talk some more around every issue. Never really say anything specific. If you ask them a question, they'll never really answer it directly. They wordsmith things. And that's one of the things that Satan does. He's taught them how to do that. I chose to finish my graduate degree elsewhere. Now, what I've noticed is that many of these so-called liberal theologians then they had a very gentle, easygoing demeanor. They would even laugh about certain things. They would introduce things that they knew were going to be questioned with kind of a smirk or a smile and just made it very easygoing. This was generally the case in the 1970s when they were simply trying to introduce error into an otherwise biblically-based school or church then. Well, now, of course, with both aberrant theologians and politicians, the attacks are more much more visceral and obvious. They're not gentle or nice anymore and certainly not willing to engage in actual discussion. They don't want to waste time with that anymore. They simply call out, denigrate, cast dispersions, and call for censure against those with whom they disagree. So much for being liberal. And yet, politicians like that are still referred to today as liberals. They are not liberals. They are leftists. They are Marxists. They actually work against the Bill of Rights and the Constitution of the United States as they work in Congress, even though they take an oath to uphold and support 
the Constitution. Well, FDR did the same thing, and he said, well, he had a different vision for the Constitution than what it actually said. My words. I could go on and on, but I'd rather you take the time to watch and listen to Reverend Jones and the link that I've provided. He makes some very cogent points about where we've come from, what the fight has been about, and what we might do to keep the slide from going any further and even potentially gain some lost ground. Now, certain denominations like Lutheran, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, and a few others, they appear to be lost without much or any hope of ever coming back to the straight and narrow. Certain Baptist denominations have gone that way and are on that way. And Jones is very concerned about the Southern Baptists themselves, though each SBC church is autonomous. The SBC, the convention itself, can't dictate to individual churches. However, if heretics control the SBC as they did in the 70s, well, that trickles down to the member churches in some form. So enjoy the video, learn something from it, understand that Satan really hasn't changed his ways to shipwreck people's faith. It works the same from one generation to the next. It's worked for eons, so why would he change it? You know, we can debate whether or not getting involved in politics is worth it, but we cannot debate whether or not fighting the good fight in our churches and keeping our doctrine and beliefs pure is worth it. But there's something beyond that. It's just not having pure doctrine. It's allowing that doctrine to purify us so that we live lives that truly glorify God so that we don't become dead, but we have the right knowledge of theology, right? Once we start to allow things to slide, we'll find out churches and people in them sliding away with it. Here are Paul's words before uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, of f- purpose faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now those particular verses were 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 15. We Christians must fight the good fight, because it means the difference between presenting actual truth to the lost or not. 1 Timothy 6.12 says this, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Well, I thank you for joining me today and I pray until we meet again, God would open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 